You're listening to Signal to Noise on the ProSound Web Podcast Network, proudly sponsored by Alan and Heath, introducing their new CQ series, a trio of compact digital mixers for musicians, bands, audio engineers, home producers, small venues, and installers that puts ease of use and speed of setup at the heart of the user experience. RCF has just unveiled the new TT Plus audio brand, including the high-performance GTX series line arrays and the GTS 29 subwoofer. Be sure to check it out at rcf-usa.com. Rational Acoustics, makers of SMART, the industry-leading acoustical test and measurement software. Rational Acoustics, rational people, smart products. I wish I could break free Back to where I'm supposed to be Hey, welcome to another episode of Signal the Noise on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network. I'm your host, Andy Levis. Sean Walker. And uh, we're here today. Uh, Sean looks like he's in his home office, and I am camped out in the stage management booth of the theater that I've been working at lately. I've annexed it for the next hour or so. Nice. Uh, I think I've got the air conditioning turned down low enough that it won't kick in, uh, but apologies if it does. Uh, yeah, what have you been up to, Sean? Same as always, man. Caffeinating and paperworking. Caffeinating and paperworking. Gotta love it. Yep. Yeah, I've that's, been... That's, that's my life, dude. Caffeine, right paperwork, and then, you know, trying to stay on that divorce prevention program. Yep, highly recommend it. Highly recommend yeah, yeah, it. Totally. Yeah. It's too expensive the other way, bro. You just, you can't mess that up. Yeah, they're both expensive <laughs> options, but but one is far better, <laughs> having been through both. Well, um, fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been, so I mean, you know, I've been mostly hanging at this new performing arts venue uh, here in the city, and we'd been doing a lot of concerts and that sort of thing, and we just opened our first, uh, you know, semi-long run, like a few-week uh, theatrical piece opened two nights ago, so I've been in, like, that heavy, insane theater schedule of, like, 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. days of, like, tech rehearsals, mixing a musical, and uh, it's nice to actually, now I've got days off and just run on the show for a few hours at night. Dude, Cool. Yeah, and so actually this week's guest actually has a little bit of a connection to this venue too. Um, he's he's now, we'll say, an old friend of mine because uh, uh, dating back to early pandemic days. <laughs> um, uh, uh, Pete Wojcicka. And uh, Pete, uh, he, he's not in because I pronounced his name right. <laughs> it's got a lot of consonants in it. It's a tricky one. Um, but yeah, Pete actually uh, was on the on the crew for the opening gala here, which of course was the single week this entire time since July that I was not here because that was when I was on vacation on a boat. So we just missed each other, like ships sailing, just like the boat I was on at the time. Um, but yeah, Pete is a a smart, cool dude. He is a long time, uh, primarily a corporate event uh, audio engineer, sound designer. Is that is that fair to say? Uh, sure, special events, corporate events, you know. Yeah, like d- does some like theater stuff too, but um, is most known in in yeah the corporate and special event world. I think we agreed because of the the nature of that industry, we're gonna tend to avoid company names of both clients and uh, employers for the most part. And if we do slip up, we'll we'll bleep it later. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I, so you you spent what about fifteen sixteen years kind of in house at uh, at. Uh, we'll say a major uh, provider in that corner of the field. Yeah. Then, so yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was a good amount of time to, uh, you know, hone your skills, I would say. Yeah. And then it was, what was it about two years ago you went freelance? 
Yeah, something like that, you know, just as our pandemic, well, before the pandemic was winding down, but as we were getting back to work, let's say, and back to live live events. Yeah, and but you you still actually do a lot of work with or adjacent to that the company you used to work for, right? Yeah, we uh, we have a good relationship, and um, you know that was important to me to uh, to, re- to retain. You know, uh, the industry is cool. small and uh, too small to be going around burning bridges. So, yeah, totally. I've there. learned from experience. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So so much of so much of what we end up doing is, is learn from our mistakes. Let us help you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, so yeah, Pete and I met a few years ago because you were doing a, a corporate event in those pandemic days uh, in here in the New York area and needed an A two, and a mutual uh, friend, acquaintance, coworker of ours sent you my way, right? Yeah, something like that. Um, yeah, uh, actually, um, he's passed away now, unfortunately, and uh, he was a, a dear and beloved individual in our in mm-hmm. our industry. Yeah, I think it, we, while we didn't know each other, we knew him through different circles for like a fairly long overlapping amount of time. Like I, like I did regular uh, gigs with him here in town, going back to like 2010. Yeah, and he uh, always talked highly of of, of you, and uh, we had an opportunity um, actually during the pandemic when we were still in lockdown where uh, we had to do an event at a headquarters in the greater New York area, and uh, we were looking for someone local to not have to fly in, and uh, that's that's when we met, and we've been gigging together ever since. It's been It's been great. Right, and... And yeah, I mean, I think I've mentioned in the past, like when we were talking about relationships and stuff and how like one small gig will lead into a lot that a major chunk of the freelance side work I had the last couple of years while I was still at the installs company all stemmed either from you or from things that happened out of that gig. Well, yeah, because we want to work with people we trust and generally uh, people that have a similar roots to us, we, we will we will trust more. And so, you know, I think that I think that goes pretty deep and, um, you know, so anything anything helps in that matter, you know? I guess that's part of one of the questions I have with making that pivot from being like staff to freelancing and maintaining that relationship with them is how how do you tread that of, you know, working with a lot of the same people with that difference in relationship and making sure everybody's happy and, and, and kosher with it? Um, well, there, I think there's two main things. Um, I think being very clear with your intentions and honest, being honest about them is important. And obviously, you have to be honest with yourself first uh, in order to do that. Uh, and then, uh, you know, kind of setting expectations. So, you know, if I'm trying to put together, oftentimes I'll put together crews for for larger special events as the head of department for the production company. And in in those workflows, I consider the person's personality and who else is on the crew and the skill levels of each person and, you know, where I need overlap between, you know, a couple of people or not. And so, the, you know, knowing people, having those relationships, um, even not working with someone before, but, you know, interviewing them over the phone for, for a, a, you know, a short period of time, you can kind of get a sense of, um, of where they're at with where they think they're at. <laughs> and, um, 
you know, so yeah. it kind of goes both ways. For me, it, it's, you know, those relationships with the crew and then, and the other uh, co-workers in other departments and then the relationships on the top end with clients and, and things like that. Right on. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a big one. And I know that's always a question that comes up when you work with a lot of the same folks all the time. And I know it's, e- it's sometimes easy to ask, like, hey, you worked with me on that last thing, and you're booking me on the next thing. Like, why didn't you call me for the thing you're doing now? And having to, and it's oftentimes about figuring out who's the best person for the particular job and 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 managing who's who's going to be the best fit for what. Yeah. Are you, like, A1 audio engineering for these events, or are you producing the events, or both of them? Or how does, what does your involvement look like in the in these corporate event important private events well uh definitely not producing i kind of look to head up the audio department or work within the audio department on these shows and uh typically the mixer most shows i guess you could say a1 although i, I kind of dislike that label because that could mean a lot of different things so um generally you know, audio coordinating, A1ing, meaning mixing, I guess, is what most people think that that means. Um, but it doesn't have to mean that. It can mean that you're the audio coordinator, and that means that you're creating the patch sheets and making sure the gear orders are in place, and maybe you're doing some drafting. Um, uh, you know, we do a lot of drafting when we're working with the technical director for the PA systems and things like that. And that, I think that's why I like this job, I, you know. I used to do some touring and more music things back in my early 20s and teens and stuff. And, you know, it kind of got boring after a while because it's a specific lifestyle usually. And uh, if you don't like the music you're touring with or all it takes is like one person on the bus to just make it horrible. So, but, you know, what I do now is, you know, I travel around, spend anywhere from three days to two or three weeks in a hotel room and uh, the same hotel room (laughs) typically load in a a show, a special show, you know, special event show or or a corporate meeting or a general session that's attached to an expo or what have you and uh, do the thing. Hopefully uh, not have any solos during the show. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. And like, I know like we, we've done like at this point now a whole like, mix of of uh, types of gigs i mean we started doing that like kind of corporate sales meeting type thing um yeah like during during COVID, right f- during the pandemic yep yeah yep and then uh and some like yeah we've done a, a couple of years worth of upfronts um yeah and some like field recording streaming of concerts like actually maybe for i i think a lot of our listeners know what an upfront is i was just gonna I, say learned, some ding dong from the other coast what's an upfront bro yeah, that's a very it, fancy it, new york I, term that i'm not hip to yep uh yeah pete you want to explain well i mean you're you live there <laughs> but uh i mean upfronts it's like what a 10 day or two week period of time when uh television networks come to new york and yeah take over the city <laughs> yeah. It's the it's and, it's basically it's yeah it's when all the networks get together and like bring all the all the ad buyers in and 
pitch them, this is our new season. This is what our audience for these shows are expected to be like. These are our numbers from last year. Come advertise on us. And it's like one of those, similar to Fashion Week, how it's the friendly competitor that they don't want to trounce everybody else. But if it's going to work, they've got to work together. So they take over a whole pile of venues in town and schedule, this one does theirs this morning, and then that one does theirs in the afternoon, and that one does the next day. very competitive. Yeah, and it's one of those weeks that like, if you're any sort of stagehand, sound engineer, rigger, whatever, in the New York area, and you're even halfway decent, you will be slammed for work. And then inevitably, you'll be loading one in and somebody calls last minute, you're not free this week, are you? And <laughs> you'll just have to laugh. because. Oh, that sounds like a week where your day rates double. Upfronts are interesting. I mean, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I've been doing them for quite a while, a couple different, for a couple different clients. And um, they... You know, I've seen I've seen them. Uh, how do I say this gently? E- I've seen them eat up people working them mm-hmm. uh, in all departments. Because, but you know, in my department mostly, <laughs> because it um, uh, they're not really corporate shows. They're not really broadcast shows. There's they're not really a musical concert. They're yeah, not really theater. Yeah, it's like. But, yeah. It's like a corporate pep rally, sort of, with a bit of a sales meeting thrown in. <laughs> That's awesome. But with broadcast people producing them. So yeah. it's, of course, like last minute and wild, and there's broadcast trucks and bands. And I mean, I've been on some where they've hired the band like while we're loading in. And I, I enjoy them. They're challenging in all the good ways for me. And um, I, you know, I think there's a, there's probably a little niche there maybe, but it's, um, they're high energy, high stress because the networks are trying to um, put their best foot forward. And, um, you know, that audience has seen three other upfronts that day. So, you know, it's, it, it reminds me in the old days of when I first started doing corporate shows, um, I started off uh, um, one of the first early shows I can think of doing was uh, I was working the systems position at the Detroit Auto Show. And um, the thing about those shows, and they've changed over the years, but um, you know, at the time, like every sound guy was there, you know, Every vendor was there, and and there was it was fun. But you could kind of go to other people's booths and hear their PA or see what they're doing. <laughs> and you know, at the time, you know, RF microphones were not at the level that they're at now, so you had to take special care. And you know, actually, those shows were cool because you're all working for competing employers or production companies or even car companies, but. You know, as audio guys, we have still have to like come together and be reasonable and 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 work together with RF coordinations or SPL levels or whatever. You know, but the upfronts are very similar to that. Yeah, Dude, I mean, that I sounds think like we, a super fun week. I want to come do that, <laughs> Andy. What week is that? Yeah. I'm coming over. I'm gonna hang with you and the wife. All right. I mean, we got the guest bed. It's it's, it's full of dog these days, but. Uh, <laughs> Nice. I like to cuddle. I'm into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, I mean, I mean, you, like the upfronts we've done together, we've gotten at least a little bit lucky in a sense that in one of the busiest RF cities in the country, although the folks in like Florida and like Dallas, Fort Worth are laughing at me right now. 
But uh, but we've got unlucky in like the last couple of years. We've been fairly secluded. <laughs> like, yeah, we've, actually, we've to get extremes of town. Yeah, we've been kind of lucky, also unlucky in some ways. But uh, that one wasn't that the first time you used Soundbase? Wasn't Soundbase like just that, freshly um, out? That was that was Soundbase. No, the um, it had only been out like, for like a the, few it was months. The smaller. Yeah, because the first thing I tried it on was the the small, the small thing downtown in the former in the former retail store. The 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 quarterly financials plus the plus the all hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which again, we're we're trying to navigate not mentioning <laughs> clients or employers here. Um, but uh, yeah, that was that was a small enough gig that it was like the hey, I've got IAS ready to go, but let's try this thing Soundbase, and it worked well, and I haven't turned back. I know we're they're working on Soundbase Pro, and we've talked with Donnie and Matt about coming on to talk about that more once Soundbase Pro is out, which will be which will be super cool. Um, yeah, and yeah, again, yeah, speaking it, of collaborations, that software is built to collaborate with other coordinators and I think that's great you know yeah it's so for those who aren't familiar I know I've, I've talked about it in the discord a bunch and we've got Donnie there uh, Soundbase is an online web-based uh, like uh, eventually paperwork and, and collaboration for lots of aspects of audio production but their initial focus is a sub part of it called Coward which is it's kind of a, we'll say a spiritual successor to IAS for large-scale RF coordination. Um, Donnie, uh, who's one of the two guys who writes it, uh, heads up uh, PWS's New York office. So, you know, like, fairly busy, well-established uh, RF uh, coordinator in his own right, and kind of built started building a lot of the tools that he wanted and needed that weren't quite there and that IAS, which has been kind of the de facto for large event RF coordination for years, you know, was just kind of, it, it was, it was the program it was. And, you know, they wanted some new things both, yeah, to do larger events with collaborators and to, um, yeah, make their jobs easier. And they really have, and it's cool. And yeah, Pete had me on a gig that was uh, sm- small scale enough and, and that I had his trust enough to be like, hey, I'm going to try this totally new untested website to do the RF coordination. I looked at you and said, well, it's like four mics, so. You can figure out four mics, right, Andy? Yeah. And then uh, and then the, the last one we did on it was somewhere around like 50. Yeah. <laughs> Unexpectedly. Well. And that, that was the one that we went into like, oh, it's going to be tiny. It'll be maybe like a dozen, dozen and a half mics. Then one band got added. Then another band got added. Then a oh, band dude, was got that cut. The, was that then the one four, where you had like presenters, like RF salad, where you had like some Axiant, some ULXD, some SLX, some that, like that old was that ULXP the year or before. something. Oh, that gross. was that same gig the year before. The this year, thankfully, with like the fifty channels, it was all Axiant and all was it PSM nine hundred. One thousand um, made it a lot. Or yeah, one thousand. So it yeah it made it a lot a lot smoother. We were also way on the east side of the city, like fairly secluded from some things um although within the magical figure eight of the new tv transmitter at the empire state building that turned on a few months ago and made everybody's life hell because it it there's parts of the city where you don't see it at all and then the it's a figure eight pattern radiating off the empire state antenna so one in the top node points straight at broadway all the theaters and that was the sweet of them, bottom dude. Yeah, and the bottom node pointed pretty much straight at where we were doing that gig. 
So <laughs> that was so nice of them to think about Broadway when they were putting that TV yeah, antenna in and not not put it in a null, but right smack in the middle of your right. Yeah, just, end. just just fire hose. Um, <laughs> and that's actually one, one of the. I, I don't want to sound too much like a like a sound based commercial, but one of the nice things about them is that they both have lots of user contributed scans, and they also uh, like do some of their own massaging and research of the data they get from the FCC. So whereas like a lot of other software will only give you like full actively online transmitters, they are now giving you a heads up that if there's a construction permit that is likely to be on, they'll give you a heads up about it where some other systems won't, which is nice. And it's that's sweet. If anything, if anything, it means it's showing you less spaces available, but it will generally keep you from getting hosed and if if you know you're not in the area of that or that that's not going to be on you can manually bypass it but it's it's been real handy and and that particular transmitter was part of what pushed them to start showing that stuff dude cool um and like on that note pete i know when we were we were texting the other day and one of the topics you had mentioned was sort of specialization and like sub departmentalization within in like how that works in corporate world do you want to kind of touch on that a little bit oh uh i mean it kind of, yeah sure i mean it, it kind of depends on the uh i guess the market that the corporate show is in because um i guess just like music there's different different uh um uh parameters that each each corporate market kind of has you know a, a tech show versus a a game game show for gamers and versus a you know financial show versus whatever so but in general um the audio department consists of the the you know the pa system the mixing consoles basically anything that there's an audible signal on which also includes uh, sending SIMPTI around to different departments and uh, for their show control, um, whether we like it or not. <laughs> um, intercom systems, wireless systems, uh, you know, pretty much everything. Um, however, I think that once you get more into uh, broadcast or the larger jobs, you start seeing that uh, we want to separate the departments out. So the first thing they go is usually intercom and, you know, that'll have its own crew and its own people and maybe even its own vendor. And, um, you know, like when I go to Europe and do corporate shows in Europe, intercom is not part of the audio like spec. It's, you know, that's the intercom spec. And, um, you know, I, I think it helps in some ways and, um, you know, it depends on the show. You know, I don't think it's the right fit for every show to separate it out like that because then it, you kind of become too segregated, um, in terms of, uh, you know, using like the same snake system, let's say, or the same network or whatever. So I, I think that, uh, you know, it, depends on the job you know some a lot sometimes you have a live a live crew and then a broadcast crew and so you know that would be a division usually you know but where are those defining lines for you in either complexity or scale or size of event or whatever where you should where where you would think all right man the the audio budget or quote or company whatever should have x amount of com on or whatever and then where it's like nope at this particular juncture, it should be a whole comm department or company or whatever, you know? Yeah, well, um, 
that's a broad question, but uh, generally, I don't. I'm, you know, generally, I'm not picking um, who the producer is hiring in terms of gear. Um, uh, you know, but uh, if I have a client that has a show that you know the intercom system is becoming, you know, bigger and we're in the budget phase still, then that's an opportunity to say, okay, um, you know, the intercom system has a programmer, but now the now it's big enough where we also need a uh, intercom assistant um, or an RF assistant, you know? And Andy and I have both been on shows where that job creep has gotten to a place where, you know, it was too late in the game and, um, you know, we can't, we can't add people. And so I... I think that's where, um, you know, uh, experience comes in and then a level of knowing, um, when to sort of say, uh, that, um, you know, this is okay. We'll get through this. And, uh, you know, we may have to work a couple extra hours here or there, but you know, it'll, it'll be fine. And then if you get the job again, that's an opportunity to say, yeah, you know, um, there's a few things we could have done better and this is one, one place we could have. And, uh, in order to, to be better, we, uh, you know, might need another position there, but you know, maybe that position can fly PA on the first two days and then move over to intercom or, you know, there's never a black or black or white thing, you know, well, with broadcast, um, that's a tricky, that's a tricky one too. I mean, I would say, 75% of the shows I mix, I'm also uh, mixing, a, a, you know, the PA and a record and maybe an outbound of some sort. And there's no other, no other mixer involved. Um, and, you know, to me, um, that line gets drawn when the producers want a produced broadcast, you know, or, or, or a record that they're going to turn around quickly to be aired live. Um, and if they want a good mix of, you know, audience reaction and, you know, maybe there's different playback content that goes to the broadcast versus in the room. So, you know, that's a long answer in saying that it depends. <laughs> totally. Yeah. That's, yeah. The, the, I, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. Yep. Um, yeah, and I mean, and yeah, that's the thing we've had. Like, there's the, and I think it's the attitude that a lot of us in this industry have, where like when we're in the heat of it, we're gonna get it done, and then we're gonna have the conversation after, whether over email, over drinks, or the next time, being like, "Hey, so y'all, that was kind of fucked. Can we make it not fucked next time?" He said, pushing the PG thirteen rating of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's my job. You're the you're the put together one. I'm the ding dong bro. I grading on a curve. um yeah and i mean in that i that touches too to the like there's a certain scale of events where then whether i mean there's band engineers coming in when there is a music act like particularly on a thing like an upfront and then i feel like there's also events where like even just on the production side there might be like when would a separate music mixer be a thing or not um You know, is the musical act embedded in the produced show, number one? Yeah. So, you know, what is, you know, what is the workflow, you know, what is the, uh, you know, workload of the production mixer at that point? What is the quality of the music 
uh, you know, of the band or the yeah. act or the entertainment. Uh, and then what's the rehearsal schedule like, you know? And if it's, you know, uh, I don't know if you remember, like in the old days, uh, what was the defining factor to have an onstage monitor mixer? And it, for the company that I worked for in uh, Massachusetts, we did festivals and stuff in the 2000s. And our rule was over uh, four mixes. Four I was, was going to say six or eight. Four, <laughs> at the time, it was four mixes and more. And I think that was I, also like the consoles that the, you know, the, so those analog yeah. consoles only had like eight aux cents. And you need, yeah. you know. Because I was going to say now, like the era of like digital mixers and fader flip, I feel like six to eight is maybe manageable as long as they're wedges and not ears. It depends I on feel the like act, as soon, I as, soon think, as there's yeah. more, that too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because, um, and are you only mixing the band or are you also mixing the production side? Because, you know, now that's a lot to do for one person if something goes wrong, you know? So, um, and that's the other side of it. What is the, uh, you know, what is the level of the of the event, you know? It, and, um, you know, some events don't, are, you know, aren't at a, at a level and they're hiring a band to come in and do a, say, uh, you know, party after the general session. Well, I don't know that that necessarily constitutes, you know, a separate mixer unless, yeah. unless rehearsal timing or some other, you know, some other thing comes up. But, um, you know, the, you know, we would always love to have a separate mixer, you know, to split the roles up, uh, you know, three mixers, you know, monitors, um, uh, you know, production and, and entertainment, um, you know, sometimes we do playback, separate playback ops, um, you know, and that's the same thing. It's when the show gets to a certain point, you know, if it's an award show, you're probably doing a separate, separate playback op, you know, mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it really helps to have those positions in place on jobs where, um, that level is required, you know. Right on. Um, and I mean, we've we've touched in through this, like about how at least today a lot of there there's a lot of blending of of live corporate event, simultaneous broadcast, and that sort of thing. And I know a lot of that sort of collided and coalesced during the pandemic and has stayed the same. And I'm curious, as somebody who's been in that world fairly consistently since well before the pandemic. Like, was there always that amount of, like, some sort of broadcaster or another involved, or, or has that gotten a lot heavier the last few years? That's such a funny question, Andy, because I haven't thought about this since the pandemic, since we were all right. locked down. But, you know, before yeah. the age of Zoom, uh, you know, we would be doing these, you know, drug reveals, car reveals, whatever, and they would want to broadcast them to Facebook. And at the time, you had to hire a company that was you know um licensed or uh had the tools to to web stream to facebook live and yeah like it was a very know, specialized thing yeah and we would sort of make fun of them 
regrettably. <laughs> <laughs> and as live people, you know, they would come in with their Nerd little, alert. Yeah, with their little Roland mixer that also switched video or whatever. And, you know, you're kind of like, what are you guys doing here? And uh, here's my feed, don't touch anything kind of thing. And, you know, now I do shows where we bring in a TV truck and I'm mixing in a full-on sports truck or whatever for a webcast, you know? And yeah. so, so I think... You know, um, you know that's a that's an example of how I think the live world has grown to a point where, um, you know, those folks were ahead of their time, and um, you know, they uh, a lot of those folks did really well during COVID, and we all made friends with them <laughs> and hope yeah. they didn't remember you. <laughs> but, um, you know, so, uh, so now it's amazing. I mean, I do these shows where we use, you know, video signals for our audio snake across the country over the internet. And, you know, uh, you know, I mean, I grew up in the day where we had two wire com, a, you know, some sort of analog telephone hybrid, like a Gettner or a Telos, and that connected to one channel of intercom between cities. And if you had more than two cities, it was rough. And, you know, it took days to tech out and, you know, it was just... Uh, it was wild. And, and you know, the, the broadcast between cities went over satellite. So the latency was like, you know, two or three seconds and stuff. And now we connect over the internet with, you know, simple tools and, you know. Yeah, like the, the ubiquity of, of Unity has been yeah. like game changing. A game changing. And, you know, you can be a, across the country from me and we can be on our respective intercom systems. And it's not, you know, we're talking like, you know, latency and quality. We're talking like we're in the same room. It's pretty amazing. And yeah, we, that's we, actually. I was gonna say, I you know, I, I joke that it's ubiquitous, and I feel like in in like our circle it is. But actually, thinking back to conversations I've had in the the in the show Discord and elsewhere, maybe it's not. So maybe we should go because I feel like everybody's like, oh, like I need to do Dante over the network. Like, how do I do that? There was this case study in this whole GPS thing. And it's actually a lot easier, a lot cheaper, and a lot simpler than people think it is, thanks to stuff like Unity. So maybe we want to, at, at risk of getting down a technical rabbit hole, do we want to kind of touch on that a little I bit? Please do. I love technical rabbit holes. Please do. I'm glad you asked, and I didn't have to like raise my hand and go, hey, bud, I don't know what the fuck we're talking about, but help. Yeah, So, because and also because a lot of people who do know of Unity know of Unity Intercom, which is a useful tool and a thing we use a lot, but that's not the only product this company makes, and maybe we should touch on both of those. Yeah, so um, Unity Intercom is a application that runs on a Mac computer that allows you to connect to it from anywhere over the internet with your cell phone, basically, or really any device, but, um, and you can run that app and wear headphones and talk to each other, kind of like the old Sprint Nextel days with the little beep, beep, you know, speakerphone thing, but it's way more complex than two-way. It's, 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 uh, you know, like six panel channels on every page or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, Unity Connect is also Macintosh based and it w allows you to do 64 channels, from that machine to multiple destinations of other 64 channels, uh, both directions. And you can set the audio codec to PCM 24-bit. Um, 
and uh, it's pretty wild. Uh, so um, I do some shows where I use that as a backup to uh, our audio signals that are riding over the video signals and also to interconnect uh, all of our intercom PL channels and stuff. And uh, yeah. It's it's pretty reliable. I mean, it runs on a computer, you know. I mean, there, there's other systems like, um, you know, and again, this comes back to, I think, the, the right tool for the job. And, uh, you know, there's the, the Clearcom LQ system that mm-hmm. uh, operates in a similar fashion, but different technology and almost as easy to set up. The thing I like about Unity Connect, at least in the events that I do, is we don't always know the full scope of the show until you know, we're loading in. And so I know with those machines at every city, we can, um, you know, we can do anything we want with them. Yeah, the odds of running out of channel capacity are fairly slim. And yeah, we've done jobs with three cities going back and forth with like, you're in the main city and sending us like a backup, you know, return and and a feed from yours back. And we're sending mixed minuses and separate audio response back and forth to the point that pretty much anything in any one city can go down, and for the most part, the show will keep happening. Um, on top of, yeah, I mean, anywhere from like five to like 15 channels of, of comm going two-way back and forth. And that's the key when I start designing these projects out. Um, you know, I have some questions that I ask the, the you know, the, the folks that are hiring me in terms of what, uh, what the show will consist of and, you know, what is the, you know, what is the importance of the show continuing continuing to to flow once it starts? And uh, you know, with those answers, then you know we can decide how many backups we need. But yeah. I try, I you know, I try to think of it like uh, airplane pilots. You know, in their scenarios, they have like two contingencies usually, but never a third one. You know, when something goes wrong, when, when so, you know, you can't have too many, you can't have too many options to go to when there's a backup because that requires brain power. And in our industry, when something fails, speed is uh, pretty important. So, you know, yeah, you need to have that. That's a, that's a really good point that you need when something goes wrong, you need to be able to not have to think about what to do. You have to know what to, what to reach for and Second what the next nature. plan is. Yep. Yeah, and you can have multiple backup plans, but you need to have already planned out the order they're coming in so you're not forking down a decision tree. You're going yeah. to plan B until that fails, and then you go to plan C. I was on a TV truck uh, earlier this year where uh, both DNS8 lives failed. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it was uh, power-related or whatever, but uh, the truck had a wave server. And so, you know, night before the show, we're... You know, I'm changing all my processing from those those cedars to to waves. You know, and without that server, I wouldn't have had noise suppression, and that would have been not not desirable for a live show in a big cavernous convention center. Yep. Oh man, like I think we've talked before about yeah, both like cedar, like dance in the Ravages, and even like isotope denoise. You know that I've run outboard at times, and it's. That's one of those things, once you use it, you can never go back to not having one of those. Yeah, it's amazing what we it's, used to like do with f- some Clark Technic DN410s and a, or a CP10 right. and, you know, a, a Delta, you know, Soundcraft Delta console and, you know, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. And then, like, know? we were all excited when we got the, the Neve 5045. 
Yeah, and sometimes that, but, that's yeah, the like choice, it, and sometimes the cedar is the choice. It kind of just depends yeah, on what's going on. Yep. And how, you know, how simplistic is it that, you know, or, you know, the, the 5045 is much more simplistic than, the, than a cedar. So, you know, do I just need to get it, the signal, you know, do we get a sound check and I just need to get this thing dry right away, you know? Or am I really busy on this show mixing and I just want less, you know, you know, less things to have to dial in. Yeah. And I'll, I mean, in particularly in like events with like lobs and that sort of thing. And like when you're pushing for gain, I know it, it's, I mean, I guess it is sort of one of the things the 5045 is advertised for, uh, although, although less heavily is not just noise suppression, but it's really good at squeaking that last little bit of gain before feedback out. Like it just, cause it clamps down so fast that when you have a system that's going to ring only when somebody stops talking, like I've been stunned when I punch it in and out how much it's doing in that aspect. I'm glad that you said the last little bit and not the first lot of it because I'm starting to see some yeah. younger folk uh, use these tools before they properly ring something out. And yeah. oh, uh, no, no, no. it doesn't turn up well for them later later in the day or the no, week you know you still have to go through your diligence like i still put the lav on myself and i still ring it out myself because now i can control the consoles with my ipad and you know if yeah. if if i've also tuned the pa or if even if the pa tech has tuned the pa i can go on stage with the mic and hear what's happening acoustically back into that microphone and for for my shows what comes back into the microphone is uh probably as important as how the pa sounds in the room you know how do you approach that scenario where you've got the pa tuned and then you're ringing out the lav are you doing that manually are you using the lav mic as the reference mic for smart what do you what are your what's your weapon of choice there as it were uh, I'll start at the console usually, and I'll do this in arenas or small ballrooms. It doesn't, or even like a, a, you know, it doesn't matter really the size of the venue. Larger venues uh, have, I have a little slightly, a slightly different workflow. Um, I'll put the mic on at front of house and just kind of bring it up in the PA and, you know, get the general tone of it, you know, working for me. And, uh, um, not really worry about a game before beef feedback a lot, maybe maybe a little bit, but then, um, and, but then take a you know a wireless control of the console somehow, and uh, you know walk around, get on stage where the presenters are going to be, where the executives are going to be, you know, hear what they're going to hear, and you know when I'm on stage, I'm just uh, most of the time I'm using a Yamaha product of some sort. Uh, all of those iPad apps have simple RTAs and you know what? That's enough for me because I'm using my ears as well, you know? So that's, that's my workflow. And then, uh, totally. you know, then I'll, you know, get the A2 on, on a mic and, and listen for tonality and maybe, you know, final, final things. But for me working with different crews and different PA systems, I have to keep some things consistent and I try to minimize the variables and an A2's voice is a variable when I'm looking to make a lav sound really loud and I don't have a perfect voice or anything like that but I know my voice and it's consistent and I know what it what my voice has in terms of 
um, you know, frequency response, and I know what it's lacking. Just in the same way we all know what different frequencies will feedback first on different microphones. So that's why I like to do it. And then, you know, I was just running into situations where, you know, like an executive would comment about what they're hearing on stage when they first get up there and, and uh, or, you know, or, or a presenter that's not a professional presenter. And that's when I thought maybe I should start kind of hearing for myself what, what these folks are hearing. And I just have gotten to the point where now I just start that way. Dude, super cool. It's a great way to work. I was going to spin off from that. And I, I, feel like this might be a short answer because it might be the same answer as the earlier question, but like percentage of gigs and where in a gig you go from your tuning the rig and mixing to having a dedicated uh, system engineer. Percentage of gigs, I would say uh, for me, um, 30% of the gigs, I have a system tech that'll tune and, you know, uh, you know, get the PA working for me. And oftentimes, um, that's either due to the size of the of the system or the schedule. So if the PA is going in when I'm also you know editing play ons or recording VOs or you know in meetings with producers and and the rest of the departments, uh, you know figuring out what we're going to do for the show, um, you know the rest of the audio department is installing the system. And and if I could come back to a uh, you know a tuned system, then um, you know it, ma- it makes uh, Makes my life easier, obviously. No, it's kind of fun. I, you know, it's fun working with PA Tech Settle Tune because I learn something from them. Every single one of them, there's something different that they do or an approach, you know, that they do a little bit differently. And you know, we always talk about, uh, you know, the good ones will will sort of. We'll you know, have a conversation, a two-way conversation about how we want the room to sound and the PA to react, and you know if there's bands, what the bands may like or not like, and you know. But if it's just me, we kind of just talk about like broad strokes of how I like a PA system to sound in a room, and um, you know we kind of start there. And if it's someone I worked with before, they you know have heard heard that before. And by no means am I like the best. PA tuner in the world or anything like that. But, you know, when we're dealing with a lot of open mics and um, game before feedback, there are some tips and tricks that, uh, you know, I've learned from our predecessors, you know. Do tell. Do tell the tips and tricks. (laughs) Damn it. I mean, I I would just say it's not that complicated, you know. We use, you know, use an FFT program. You know, get that thing, you know, I don't want to say flat, but, you know, take a look at what's going on and make some decisions. And uh, that that's never a straightforward answer on what's right or wrong. Um, and then use I always just use my ears after that, you know. Um, one of the first Absolutely. things I do is listen to um, my MD431 that I carry, uh, you know, um, through the PA system, you know. That uh, there's a lot of intelligence that you can gather from talking on a PA system, you know, mostly about the variables, uh, how the room is interacting, you know, whatever. So, um, yeah, I, I hope AI doesn't take that from us. <laughs> totally. 
I mean, at a certain point, there's always that artistic opinion of what we want it voiced like. Yeah, like a computer can could help get it to a certain target, but who's going to decide what that target should be? Yeah, and I mean, it's because we all hear different. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, some of us, I think, I you know, I, golden ears and all those things, I, you know, I, everyone mm-hmm. hears differently. And so I think... The difference yep. really comes down to how you as an engineer have individually translated what you think other people will also like. And some of that can be taught and some of that is learned or perceived. Like being exposed to good sounding shows can teach you a lot. And um, music, you know, any kind of show really. And um, then having the vocabulary to uh, translate that to a system tech or a vocabulary to translate that to, you know, the other side of your brain to choose tools that, you know, that will will react the way you want in the signal chain, you know, all the way down the line. I mean, you know, there was a period of time where feeding the PA analog was... Um, sounded better than feeding the PA AES back then. And now it's the reverse. You know, these, you know, all these, a lot of these amplifiers sound way better if you're not hitting those analog op amps and they're kind of expecting you to feed them digitally now, you know. Gain structure is key to every kind of mixing, but particularly special event mixing. I mean, and yeah, this goes back to getting your consistencies down. I don't really change the way I mix uh, special events. Like, it doesn't really matter the console. It could be any of the console manufacturers. My, My workflow is basically the same on all of them. And my signal, uh, gain structure through them changes slightly depending on on each each one but uh you know and at the end of the day i'm using that console to mix a show that's you know minus 24 and whatever you know luffs um and so the pa system becomes the variable and then you know where you adjust for that is the discussion and there's a lot of opinions around that you know, but the console should be operating. At, and, you know, back in the, you know, back in the, you know, kind of the old days, because you had to drive everything so hard, modern loudspeakers are so fantastic from the ones that I grew up with, you know. Um, and they've just come so far, you know, and yeah, every, in every way. I've, yeah, and it's the thing I've mentioned too, that like the development of like amplifiers and loudspeakers today has led to us being able to have a wider range of microphones in tonalities too, because like the microphones that were popular early on were voiced to work with the limits of the loudspeakers we had. And now that we have loudspeakers that don't need as much of a presence boost for clarity and that can handle more low end, we have microphones that give us more of a palette for when we want to get our, I mean, obviously talking heads, there's a limit to what we need for that, but like for music and that sort of thing. Yeah. You can start you using know. studio mics on stage, you know, and you know, I, you know, I think plugins too, people are using studio plugins now too, you know, um, it, it, it uh, you know, live shows are much better now, uh, you know, I think on average than they used to be. Dude, totally. 
Totally. Andy, have yeah, you tried it's, that it's a, uh, that wireless capsule you were working? Have you tried that like as a Talking Heads thing? That Earthworks one, whatever that thing was. Uh, I've not yet. I've not had a chance. Defect, so I just got the, Earthwork, the, That's the, no, the the Earthworks. The what is it? SR three one one seven or whatever that thing is. I don't remember. I'm horrible with models. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The thirty one seventeen is the is the wireless version of it, and then the one seventeen is the wired. Um, yeah, no, I've had it on one singer. Which was pretty solid for that. I think basically the the summary we came up with was that it is better than a than the Neumann and not quite as good as the DPA or the KSM nine, but it costs under two hundred bucks. Yeah, the KSM nine is a fantastic microphone. Totally, it is. I love the totally. eight, the nine. I I haven't used the eleven. I had a a relatively name artist a month ago that I probably could have used it on because this artist cupped like nobody's business. And that's the one thing I keep hearing about the 11 is that it's astounding and was actually designed intentionally to be as resistant to microphone cupping as possible. Wow. So I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to give that a shot. So I will it, say that's the one thing. Sorry. That's the one thing I'll say about the earthworks is that it does not do well with cupping. Does it, is the 11 like beautiful like a KSM 9 but also resistant to cupping is that the the idea that's what i'm told again i i haven't had my hands on it but like every bit like and folks i know who do like a lot of hip hop have been like it is the mic to have for hip hop because as soon as you start doing you know the cup to the mic it is it will be what do you mean it only sounds the same Eddie you cup it you don't cup it it's all yeah. the same yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it looks so cool though dude I have exactly. Oh, it looks terribly badass. I have executives that do that. It's funny. They, you know, because oh. they people are watching music videos, and it, that's where they learn their microphone too. Totally. Yeah. You know. What up, everybody? <laughs> you know, the funny part is yeah. like they they do do that, but then like the super pros in that do not do that. Like watching Snoop Dogg or somebody like that, he's even got a handle on his mic so he doesn't do that. And they're like, they got killer mic technique. And so it's just funny that like these super 1% A-list hip hop artists are like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to mess that up. Man, this is going to sound great. And it sounds killer. And then it's like, you start working yourself down the chain and all of a sudden they're like cupping the whole thing and it sounds like they're talking through a garden hose, you know? Probably because someone played them a board tape of their show. <laughs> oh, dude, Totally. <laughs> Totally. Well, and if it's a freaking hundred billion dollar empire, you're not going to mess up Jay Z's show or whoever, right? Like he's like, oh no, you know what? I'll move my hand one inch. No big deal. You know? Like, <laughs> yeah, I've I've definitely had conversations with monitor mixers who are very big on like, particularly during rehearsal. I will not only not try and clean that up, I will maybe even emphasize it a little bit so that hopefully they realize and catch on. And sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. And there's a sneaky way to do that. I like that. I like it. Uh, I mean, bef before we before we wrap up, I know we we got down the tech rabbit hole a lot, but you kind of <laughs> touched earlier. <laughs> I mean, as we're wont to do and as we love to do. Um, uh, but you also kind of touched a little bit on like both like the the people aspects of like crewing and a little bit of the mental health stuff. So do you want to kind of circle back to that to to bring us home? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, you, our industry has um, grown up a lot uh, over the past, uh, you know, while, I don't know how long, you know, long time, but, um, you know, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, we're, we're much more inclusive, um, we're, we're becoming a, you know, a more educated uh, workforce, I would say, and, um, you know, uh, 
uh, you know, with that, I think uh, we're also learning about, uh, you know, mental health in our industry. I mean, you know, not only are we working long hours, but sometimes multiple days in a row and, you know, we're spending time alone in hotel rooms and, you know, sometimes, you know, things can go awry. So I think that, um, uh, you know, it's important for us to, to remember that, uh, you know, we're not alone out here, you know, and, uh, and with these crews and, and, you know, working in teams, I think it's important to remember that, uh, you know, we're not like doing surgery or saving babies and, you know, we, we are making sure that we're keeping each other safe, but, you know, beyond that, uh, you know, there's not a lot of reason to be mean to people and, uh, you know, our industry can be, can be rough for that, you know? And so, um, in one way or the other. So I, I think that, um, you know, with crews and stuff, you know, I, I just try to be respectful for, you know, the, a position that somebody's in or, um, you know, if, if, if something's not hitting my expectations, I, I, you know, I, I try to approach it in a manner that isn't assuming that they're just not good, you know, because we all have different struggles and, uh, you know, sometimes you learn that the, you know, someone's dog died or, you know, someone's, you know, mom is in the hospital or, you know, things that have nothing to do with the workplace and they may, they're fantastic, you know, technicians, but, you know, it's just an off day. And, you know, unfortunately our industry, I mean, it's better now since, since the pandemic actually with, with this, but, you know, we don't have a good history of uh, being empathetic to personal, uh, personal issues. You know, I mean, you know, I grew up with the, you know, the mindset that uh, if you're not dead, you're coming into work. I think that um, since COVID, uh, I mean, we kind of had to do it so that we didn't have, you know, a bunch of sick people working, but um, and getting other people sick. So I think it kind of started with that. But I, you know, I think we're we're much more empathetic to health issues, including mental health issues, and um, and you know, I by by we, I mean, not just us as the crew, but the people paying us and the people above them. And, uh, you know, I think that's good. I think that's part of, part of our industry, um, growing up. And, you know, I hope that, uh, more people talk about that for, for the, you know, the young folks, because we're sort of in a, in a labor crisis right now, a little bit, um, you know, and, you know, we have, we have less, less young people, you know, wanting to come up and, and through the ranks and, or we have young people wanting to skip the ranks and, you know, sometimes that's okay. And most of the time it's not, you know, um, um, only just because, uh, you know, there's an experience to what we do that goes beyond the technical or what you can learn in school. Um, you know, there's an experience with how to, how to handle people and stressful, you know, stressful, um, situations or, or talk to them or, or, um, you know, um, making a technical decision, you know, that might not be the best technical decision, but it's the right decision for your department at the time for what is happening around you to, to, uh, you know, move forward in the day. So, um, 
you know, I think, I don't know. I'm proud of our industry for that. And I, I don't think that we give give ourselves credit enough, um, you know, and I mean, we still have work to do, but I, you know, I think it's important for us to remember that this is a job and, uh, you know, we're doing it because we like it. That's, I think, one of the reasons that, like, we've stayed friends and, like, we keep working together. It's like, I don't, I mean, you and I have had jobs where we have, like, butted heads and been, like, very pissed at each other for a little while, but we also know that, like, we can step away for a minute and come back and be like, okay, dude, sorry I was a cranky dick. This is what I'm dealing with. What What are your priorities that I can do to fix it? Or how can I help you fix it? And, and you know, there's... There are definitely like folks you work with, whether as a supervisor or the other direction, that can't do that, and that's what I, I appreciate about the folks I choose to work with these days. Of which you know, you Peter are one of them, is being able to manage that and handle that and, and take care of each other. Because at the end of the day, the gig's going to go, but like hopefully the the people you're going to work with again. Totally, yeah. I mean, if you want to keep having a job, you're going to keep working with those people. Usually, right? You're going to see them again. It's not, like you were saying earlier, it's not that big of an industry. You know, I, w- I would say two things to kind of what you just said, being on both the end, both having freelanced a bunch and also owning a sound company and hiring people. I would say, first of all, reach out if you got, if you're having a day, you know what I mean? Like, you can, you can reach out to me. I don't care. Call me, text me, whatever. I'm sure, you know, the three of us are probably on the same page, but like, reach out to the Discord, call me. You're having a day? I don't care. I'll listen. That's fine. And then second, like... Those people that are super cranky and grumpy and being being jerks to everybody, typically that's just a sign that they're out of their element and they're not as good as they think they are because most people that are great at what they do aren't yelling at people and being crabby. They're just ripping. They're just doing a good job. And everybody has a bad day, but for the, you know, like for the new cats out there that are trying to like tread the waters and figure out which way is going, if somebody's yelling and being cranky they're probably not a good role model and they're probably not as good as their job as they think they are you know what i mean yeah and uh, that's actually sean you uh, reminded me of a scenario that happened to me this summer where um yeah sometimes i said i was sorry it was one time i said i was <laughs> oh, sorry. that was you that was you uh, <laughs> now you got you and i are gonna be having taught well, we're gonna have words yeah later. right <laughs> But a scenario in the summer where uh, um, it was just a kind of a rough situation where uh, the vendor wasn't providing the service they should be. And the crew was, you know, at their limit in terms of um, capability. And so um, I was just trying to promote moving forward with the day and getting things done and keeping people like positive and you know because the the crew that came in were not they weren't feeling proud about what was happening either you know like they were they were in the same boat we were only we have to answer to our you know our our you know producers and 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 whoever but um the uh it got to a point where something wasn't getting done and um the uh, technical director had to uh, say some words to the vendor, but it happened to be in front of some of the crew and uh, it set them off wrong. And this goes back to my honesty comment earlier that that particular person came to me as the department head and said, hey, this thing just happened and I feel bad about it. And, uh, you know, he was a younger, uh, you know, younger guy. And um, I thought that was great. 
And when he explained the story, it did not sound like that, you know, what had happened was not a normal uh, thing to happen with that, with that individual. So, um, uh, you know, when the time was right uh, later that day, I, you know, we, we ran across each other privately in a hallway and, you know, I was able to mention it to him, you know, in a way that, um, was receivable. And he, he, he didn't even know he was coming across like that. And, um, he definitely did not mean it to come across to, to, to the, you know, to the, to the technician that way. And, uh, he went and apologized right away. And that technician was, was over the moon that, you know, someone would do that. And, you know, that's what I mean. This is, this is a young, you know, a young person <laughs> relative to us. And, uh, you know, I, I wasn't raised that way to be that. So, you know, this is an instance of, you know, here's something I learned from someone younger than me that, oh yeah, I guess you can speak up in a way that, you know, makes you feel good. And, um, uh, I think, I think that's great, you know? Totally. And I think, I think you did it exactly the right way. It makes me think we're on the same page, which is like you you criticize people in private when you need to do that. When you have to have those conversations, don't do it in front of the crew. Do it in private, just like you did. That was I, I think that's a great move. That's how I like to do it. And then when you are cheering them on or congratulating them, whatever, do that in public so the crew sees it because then they're like, oh man, everybody likes that. It makes them feel good about themselves. You know what I mean? But nobody wants to get torn a new one in front of the crew and nobody's going to come back from that thinking like, well, I'll just work harder. It's going to be great. Now they're just like, well, screw you, man. You know what I mean? That it's kind of like the vibe is killed. The day is ruined. You know what I mean? And so, or the job great. sometimes, you know, totally, you know, it, someone in, you know, someone in a department head or mixing position is reliant on the rest of the crew to, you know, make the department look good, but because you're yep. sort of, uh, uh, you know, in the upper notches of the department, they are there and, you know, they're making you look good. And so, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's, you know, it's kind of a two way street there with that, I think. And, Absolutely. um, you know, it's, if, if they're not, you know, motivated to do the best that they can or, you know, bring their best to that day, then, you know, now there's a communication problem and that communication problem can sometimes result in safety issues. I've seen that before, you know, between, between departments sometimes or whatever. And, and then, or even between the same department because they're not communicating, um, professionally or clearly. And, um, you know, yeah, we're growing up. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Our our industry is finally learning how to be human. (laughs) Whoa, 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 whoa. Easy, easy. All about low expectations. All right, all right, ish, ish, ish. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and yeah, that comes back around to the whole, like when building your crew is having people you trust who you know are the right fit for what you're doing. Or um, I know, Pete, you know uh, Micah, who's the head that I'm working with a lot, who's uh, another one of my favorite folks to work for. And like his big his big rule with crewing, and I, I should preface this by saying that Mike is one of the smartest sound people I know, and his rule for crewing is everybody I hire should be at least a little bit smarter than me. 100%. Like, I, or totally. a lot smarter yeah. than me. Did some, I was going to say, yeah. in my Either case, way, a lot smarter than me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and he's like, yeah, he's like, and if I do that, he's like, we can solve any problem. Yeah, I never understood the... the uh, 
the workflow that is hire people that are you know not as smart as me. I, I don't. I don't what am I paying them for? Yeah, I mean it. I, yeah, it's 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 an it's an insecurity. It's it's a trying to create job security because you're insecure in your own ability to create your job security by doing your job well. I guess. And I guess, but I, I think thankfully. Both as as a certain generation is aged out and a new one is coming in, and as the pandemic has pushed people out of the industry, unless they were serious and healthy about it, has has gotten rid of a lot of that attitude, which has been, you know, has been great. Totally. But if you think about it, like if you're the smartest one in the room at all times, then you're always having to like drag people along with you and bring it up. If you hire people that are smarter or better than you are, then you don't have to do their job for them, and they're earning their paycheck, right? And it makes your day less stressful if you're the one crewing, right? If you are in charge of the crewing or it's your company or you're, you know, the crew lead for the day or whatever, the more, the more talent, the more rippers, as I would call it on your, on your crew, the better and the easier and the smoother and the less handholding. And you can just go about all the other stuff you got to do today rather than like show somebody how to do the one-on-one stuff, you know? Yeah. And I think that's, you know, uh, bridge to another topic, which is that, you know, uh, we kind of have to know most things about all the things <laughs> in terms of gear and, and technical, uh, you know, abilities on, on our systems. Now, you know, do we have to know the nitty gritty on a system that isn't normally your responsibility? Maybe not. But, you know, for me, if I'm putting together uh, like an RFP for, uh, for a vendor to fill, um, you know, I have to know enough about, you know, a comm system, let's say, or a wireless mic system, even though I'm the mixer, I'm coming up with the initial spec, let's say. Yeah, I have to know enough to ask for the right things. Now, you would say, you know, a good vendor will fill in what you need, but, you know, if it's a bid situation, it has to be, it has to be listed out. And so, um, you know, we're kind of expected. So if I get a crew member that uh, may not know the systems as well as maybe they presented, if it's someone new, then yeah, that's sort of a bummer because that person isn't honest about maybe where they're at. And, um, you know, that's a tough discussion sometimes. Um, but, you know, if it's the other way, it's great, you know. And again, you try to bring people up, you know, there's there's a lot of fast learners and things. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, like I'll work with people and I work with tons of different people and tons of different vendors and production groups and stuff. And, you know, you might get a, uh, you know, a Riedel tech that's never used that vendor's Riedel before. And maybe there's something specific that that vendor does and they may not know and they're struggling to get it up and running. But if I know, I can share that with them and anything else I know about it that might help them. But, you know, I'm not the, <laughs> I'm not the Riedel programmer they are. And so, you know, you give that information up and then let it go and let them do their job, you know? And, and, you know, it's, you know, I was raised with, uh, I guess a generation that would hold those kinds of things over your head for a long time. And, um, you know, I'm glad that most of us don't do that. Um, you know, cause knowledge, uh, you know, these systems are so complicated that we need each other sometimes to put a challenging, um, you know, problem to rest, whatever it may be, you know, it may totally. be as simple as a bad connector somewhere, but if, 
you don't have a good group of folks that can troubleshoot it in a calm way as a team, uh, you know, it could take a long time to try to get to the bottom of it. Totally. And each one of the different systems, like you were saying, is super complicated. Like calm is its own, it's its own animal. And we have to do it a lot where you're like, oh, it's only 10 channels or whatever, a free speak or whatever. And you're like, okay, well, the A2 is going to sort that out along with, you know, eight or 10 channels of wireless and blah, 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 blah. But that's its own like ecosystem and language and things to know. And each manufacturer is very different. So that by the time you got to really drill down into it, you need somebody that knows what they're doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like, so here's a perfect instance. I just finished up a, a multi-city corporate tour and, um, you know, we were using local vendors in each city and uh, we were in a, um, a location that uh, the, a2 was struggling with getting output out of the uh, microphones, the RF microphones. They were axiom digitals. And, um, you know, we were kind of like, okay, how come the output isn't working on these two outputs out of four on the same receiver? And um, uh, when we had a break, I went back there and we, we dove down. And I had remembered one instance early on when those things were brand new, uh, when I was... Um, consulting over at the uh, Opera House in Chicago. And uh, we had a scenario where um, a set of receivers that were demo receivers were set to AES mode and not uh, instead of analog. And, um, and so, you know, that one little piece of knowledge from eight years ago or whatever, you know, kind of popped up in there and, you know, we worked together. So I, I, I think totally. that's what I mean by team and being, you know, being positive and professional and you know that guy you know didn't have too much of an ego to ask for help and i wasn't too mean to him f so that he didn't <laughs> feel like he could ask for help and you know we got through it together and that you know that's why i mean that's why i do this you know we're working at a, as a team and that that makes us all feel good i think you know so we're humans totally totally that's awesome Cool. Well, it's it's been great catching up with you, Pete. It's it's been far too long since since I've seen you, and I'm glad glad Sean got a chance to meet you as well. Yeah, dude. Um, yeah, nice to meet you guys, yeah. and nice to see you again. Thanks for the thanks for the invite. I was I was excited. Yeah, and uh, so as as always, this is this has been another episode of Signal to Noise on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network, brought to you by our sponsors, Alan and Heath, RCF, and Rational Acoustics. And uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Until then, just remember, if everything else fails, up is louder. And uh, we are here today with, uh, you know what, I said I wasn't going to introduce you right away. <laughs> and then I derailed. <laughs> Not that it matters. Um, I guess we can just introduce you at the... And see you. <laughs> <laughs>